and where they needed me was on board the USS Independence in Yokosuka, Japan. So now I've got this pregnant wife. Uh, we had gotten married before I went back in. And I am going to now drag her to a foreign country, um, which, by the way, we had no idea about until about two, three weeks on board the ship. You are listening to the Homeland Heroes Salute, sharing stories to heal and honor our heroes. This podcast is brought to you by the Homeland Heroes Foundation and produced by Dairy Cam. This podcast sometimes deals with mature content that may not be suitable for a younger audience and could be triggering for some individuals. Discretion is advised. The views expressed by our guests and others are solely their own. No views expressed in this podcast represent any of the uniform services, the Homeland Heroes Foundation, Dairy Cam, or any other organization. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Homeland Heroes Salute. My name is Alyssa, and today we have hosting with us Art Briggs. Hi, Art. How are you today? Excellent. Thanks again for having me. Great to be here. Thanks for joining. All right. Art and I are joined today by Bill Goudreau. Hi, Bill. How are you today? I'm doing pretty good yourself. Great. Thanks for joining us. Can you share with us in the audience a little bit about who you are? Uh, what branch of the military you served in, um, and any fun facts about yourself? Uh, yes. Um, again, my name is Bill Gaudreau. I served in the United States Navy for 29 years. Um, truly, truly loved my service. I was a foreign communications intelligence analyst. Um, I had one of those jobs that if I, if I told you what I did, I'd have to kill you. So uh, I will keep, I'll keep what I did secret. Uh, but I love what I did. I used to tell people when I got out, I'd go back and do it again tomorrow. Um, but, you know, the current job I have is, is really, really cool. So um, I kind of changed that a little bit. Uh, I'm married. I've been married for about uh, 29 years as well. Uh, and I have one child and she is 28. Uh, so uh, we currently live in Manchester. So, Bill, Bill that's uh, 1986. Uh, tell us about where you're from, what your family was like, and how you ended up joining the Navy in 1986. Okay, uh, so 1986, I was in Ware, New Hampshire. Uh, so I'm originally from here. I was going to Ware High School, one of the last graduating classes from Ware High School before it became John Stark Regional. I really didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. Uh, my wife, uh, my mom was uh, on me constantly about uh, about making a career choice and deciding what I wanted to do, and and I just I really hadn't had it locked down. College really wasn't something that I was considering at that time. And she said, "Well, you just can't sit around the house." So I'm like, "Okay, um, I don't know." And she was pushing, pushing, pushing. Eventually, she pushed the the, the Navy. And uh, I contacted a recruiter, and, and, and there you go. I, I joined while I was still in high school, and I left when I was uh, in September of uh, 1986 when I was 17, and I turned 18 about uh, a week and a half before I graduated boot camp. So you enlisted in the Navy at, a, at 17 years old. Uh, the Oprah Winfrey show just debuted. Chernobyl melted down. Space shuttles are going everywhere. Halley's Comet goes across the sky. Phantom of the Opera is in London's West End. And your mom is pushing you. And at 17 years old to make a career decision, uh, you join the Navy. So what is it like to leave from New Hampshire 
And and where did you go? And what was what was the the feeling like at, at seventeen? I can't imagine how uh, how insane that must have been to get on a bus or a plane and head towards basic training. Uh, sure. Um, so uh, my recruiter actually contacted me in the summer and he said, "Hey, guess what? Uh, um, the school you're supposed to I was supposed to go to Chicago Great Lakes for boot camp. Uh, he had informed me that." Uh, Strangely enough, weirdly enough, a student actually had gunned down a instructor at Chicago uh, at the school I was going to attend. So they had to shut the entire school down for the investigation, uh, which meant that I couldn't go to uh, Chicago for a boot camp. So instead, I went to San Diego. Uh, so, of course, I'm a New Hampshire boy. I, I grew up in the New England area, grew up in snow. And, you know, you see that little bit of sunlight during the summer, but not much of it. And I went to beautiful, gorgeous amazing weather san diego uh which by the way i was in boot camp from september to november and that should have been in chicago where the weather would have been not so good so uh that's <laughs> that's my story there i wound up in san diego uh beautiful weather beautiful uh uh environment out there and i, I had the opportunity to to go to boot camp in, in what i call the summer camp oh yeah so i I'm amazed that you still live in New Hampshire after being in San Diego's weather. That's surprising to me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, so what was it like for you to to travel from one coast to the other? And can you uh, just spend a little bit of time talking about what it's like to be a 17 year old young man uh, and leave well, everything that you really know? I was it was shocking and it was absolutely scary. Um, so prior to me getting on the plane to fly out to San Diego, I'd only been on one other plane, and that was uh, on a Navy P-3 uh, that happened to land in Pease that my recruiter thought it'd be kind of cool to bring us up there for a flight. So my actual first flight in a plane ever was a Navy P-3, and I thought I was experienced flying, <laughs> and then I and I, I joined the big ranks, and I and I flew out to uh, San Diego, uh, you know, you know, by the Navy's ticket, and it was it was scary. It was uh, intimidating. I, I wasn't traveling with anybody, so it was all by myself. Uh, again, still 17. And of course, when you arrive at boot camp, it was late at night. Uh, you're shell shocked. Uh, everything you know is behind you. Uh, you're 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 <laughs> concerned about the future. And did I make the right choice here? Uh, is this the biggest mistake I've ever going to make? Am I going to be wind up going home in a couple of weeks because I just can't hack it? I mean, all those things run through your mind. And then it hits you when you see that first drill instructor, that first, we call them company commanders in San Diego. And it was just like, oh my goodness, what did you do? You are the dumbest person on the planet. Uh, and these guys are going to kill you. So that was my first experience. So they didn't like uh, take you out of the bus and check you into the Sheraton or the Hilton. It wasn't like that. No, no. We, we literally were standing on the on the sidewalk at uh, San Diego Airport. Uh, there was probably about a good 30, 40 of us that had come off a bunch of different flights. A couple buses showed up. Uh, there was a company commander on the bus told us all to sit down, shut up. And not to say a word until we got to San Diego, which fortunately uh, the boot camp is a really close, really close to the airport. So it's like literally a five minute drive from the airport to boot camp. And you got out that bus and it was it was on. <laughs> it was it was on. It was screaming. It was yelling. It was confusing. It was mayhem. Uh, it was hurry up and wait, standing in lines. It was it was insane. It was crazy. 
And I, I remember that first phone call because it required you to make a phone call home to let mommy and daddy know that you arrived. And I remember that first phone call, I could barely talk. I just basically did a lot of, mm-hmm, uh-huh, yep, mm-hmm. Because I just couldn't, I couldn't talk. I, I was choked up and I was just thinking to myself, if I, if I talk here, I'm just going to ball. I was, like I said, completely out of my element. Oh yeah. That's a, that's a great picture story for everybody that's listening. So you get off the bus, you're, you're kind of getting processed. Uh, you spent a great deal of time in our Navy. And uh, so take us through that, um, you know, 17 to 21 year range. So from 1986, is that what you said? Yep. Uh, to, to, to 1990, what, what was, uh, it like to grow up really as a young man in our Navy? Um, well, I mean, so I, I, I went to San Diego cause I was supposed to go to school out there. Uh, I didn't do well in that school. I was supposed to, when I first came in, I was supposed to be, uh, interior communication and I seaman. Um, the, have you go through a, a course called basic electronics and electricity? I didn't figure, I didn't think it was that basic it was actually very complex. Uh, for me, at least I thought it was, I just had a hard time getting the grasp of electrons and electricity and how, how it all worked. And I actually wound up getting dropped from the school. Uh, I wound up getting dropped and they get reclassified, um, in a different rating. And that rating was cryptology, which in, in my opinion, and no, no offense to any IC men out there, I looked, always looked at it as I, I traded up. I mean, IC men would have probably kept me on a ship for my entire career. Uh, as a CTR, I spent m- just most of my career on ships. So uh, it was, I, and then of course I got a top secret clearance as a result of being a cryptologist. So that's again, was a, a, a cool thing, a cool aspect to get. Uh, so after I, I dropped out of school, or I was pulled out of school there, I got reclassified, and they sent me down to Pensacola for school. So here I am, still relatively young, just graduated boot camp, still about a month or two out uh, as a sailor, and now I'm flying again down to Pensacola, Florida, on my last chance, really, because if I failed out of this school, they were going to send me out to the fleet non-designated and let me let the fleet figure it out from there, and, and that's definitely not what I wanted. Um, so I went to Pensacola. I went to cryptologic school. I I, I kind of enjoyed it. Uh, learning how to copy Morse code as a cryptologic technician collections, a CTR, learning how to copy Morse code while I was down there uh, was kind of interesting. And then I graduated and they sent me back to San Diego for my first duty station. And that uh, first duty station was a a, a deployable uh, duty station. Uh, But at that time, most of our deployments were just SoCal uh, off the coast of Southern California, you know, two week trips here, three week trips there. I think uh, in that time frame, I, I, Got to go visit San Francisco uh, on a trip. I got to go up to Vancouver, Canada on a trip. I got to go to Seattle, Washington. And again, this is all from a, a young man who's never stepped a foot out of, out of really New Hampshire other than Maine. Now here I am going to all these great places by myself. And then we spent a lot of time down in Hawaii here and there as well. So it was pretty exciting and, and pretty cool in, in that first four years. And and I, I like to think I grew up a little bit, but I look back and I was still pretty much a kid. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. So uh, the people that are listening heard you say uh, my last chance before I was undesignated and the United States Navy is unique at at all the branches uh, where you can be undesignated. And for the people that don't understand, would you explain what that means? Essentially, what you get to do is you go out to the fleet without a job. Uh, They give you a job while you're out there. It usually is not a good job. Uh, and you do the not so good job until you figure out what do you want to be when you grow up. Uh, you know, then you, they, 
from that perspective, what you get to do is you get to strike, you get to basically apply to for for another opportunity, another job. And if you get accepted for it, that's how you get into that career field. They may or may not send you to school at that point, um, or it may just be an OJT on job training type uh, of indoctrination into that new rating. So really, like I said, it was it was kind of scary because it, it really was my last shot uh, before I you know I, I went out and basically would I would have floundered around. I would have it, it would have been just as you know, just as smart as me just to stay at home and, and flounder around. But here I am in the United States Navy, and, uh, and I was worried about doing exactly that, just floundering and not really locking down and, and getting a, a job. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great way to explain it. I think uh, most people believe that, and that still happens today in our Navy, is uh, young men and women will even join undesignated. And for a period of even a, up to a year or two years, they, they won't have a job. Um, and they'll just be given tasks aboard a ship, and it's a reality. So uh, some people are, are are really in that position. So that's a lot of stress for a young 17-year-old that's in San Diego that is being moved from one job to another and has to qualify this job in order not to be undesignated. And I'm sure at that point you're hearing the sea stories of others that are like, hey, you don't want to be undesignated. You better you better stick your nose in this book and study to be a crypto tech and uh, what a unique opportunity. So you, you travel all over these places. You're a young guy from New Hampshire. Um, what do you experience in boot camp? What do you experience in the schoolhouse as far as uh, the young men and women of America coming together and, and being side by side, sleeping together, uh, showering together, uh, eating together, exercising together, like everything is together. What is that like for, for you? in 1986 well you 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 realize really quickly that you've got to work together uh as a unit and, it, and of course it's all by design you know when they when they graduate you from bootcamp and they send you out to your school uh, you're going to work together with with your classmates and they're going to go ahead and graduate you from your school and they're going to send you out to the fleet and they want you to work together as a as, as a unit uh whether you're shore based or whether you're on a ship, they want you to be able to work together uh, because a ship that is divided is a ship that goes nowhere. I mean, so in a ship that has accidents and, and people's lives get put at risk and they want the sailors, they want everybody to work together. So you learn really quickly to rely upon each other. They almost force it upon you by the way it's set up. Uh, so that was, that was something that you learned really quickly uh, but also the, the cool part about that is you develop bonds, you develop bonds with people, people that you may not have developed bonds with if you weren't forced into this environment. So again, that's a very unique aspect of the military. Um, and, and, and just to kind of touch really quickly on the non-designated thing, I will say as an, as a, well, as a younger, of course, I absolutely wanted a job. But as an as adult looking back, there is benefits to being non-designated. Those benefits could be for that individual who doesn't know what they want to do. Uh, if you just lock on to a job because a recruiter says that's a good job for you, you may not like that job. The, the good thing about non-designated is you got the opportunity to kind of look around at what's available and you get to kind of see and you get to kind of talk to people. How do you enjoy your job? What do you do? And then you get to kind of get a sense for what it is that you feel you might actually want to do. So there's absolutely a benefit to being non-designated. But when you're a young kid, when you're a young kid and they're telling you if you're, if you don't graduate this school, you're going to be on the decks chipping paint. That's all you're going to do. 
And I'm like, yeah, it's not what I joined the Navy for. So I, I, it definitely motivated me to get through cryptology, uh, cryptologic school. Yeah, that's really good. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that insight. So um, you're from New Hampshire. You're mm-hmm. encountering people that are that, that have different worldviews than you. Uh, people that Absolutely. are from Louisiana, Washington, Florida, Nebraska, Tennessee, Kentucky, California. A lot of people from Texas. A lot of people from Texas. Who knew people from Texas would join the Navy, right? <laughs> uh, exactly. But, exactly. But there, there they are, and you're in it together. What are some uh, values or life lessons that you would say that you learned in, in those relationships? Um, I think you learn really quickly to see past uh, people's differences. Uh, you get to see past um you know, the way people think about things. Again, I come from New England and New Englanders think like New Englanders and it's, it's different wherever you are in, in the country. So that diversity that you get as a result of being in the military is actually pretty cool. If I had stayed in New England, you know, I probably would have worked with alongside other New Englanders and not seen, seen past what is you know, this region. And I got to work with people, you know, like you said, from all different walks of life, people from that were different colored skin um, and coming from, you know, England at that time, there wasn't a whole lot. I think I had one African-American in my entire 12 years of high school uh, in my school. And now of course they're everywhere. And it was, it was really, really cool. You get really get to kind of get a, a sense for yourself to, to figure it all out and learn about cultures and the way people interact with each other. And I really, I really did enjoy it. Um, but at the end of that four years, I, I, I kept thinking to myself while I was in the grass is always greener on the other side. I miss mommy and daddy. I need to get out of this canoe club. And I actually did. I separated for about six months. Um, but I challenged myself in my separation because I met my wife and I decided to drag her butt back to New Hampshire, uh, with me <laughs> in 1990 in the middle of a recession. So it didn't take me long, approximately about six months before I realized you are the biggest idiot on the planet. You need to go back in the United States Navy. And I remember I came home from, at that time, I was working at the American Insurance Group uh, at uh, on Elm Street in Manchester. And I was a security guard working third shift. And here I was in the Navy. I had a top secret clearance. National security was my my business. And now here I am, a security guard. Not, I'm not knocking security guards, but it wasn't necessarily what I was aspiring to be. And I remember coming home and talking to my wife, especially after we found out she had gotten pregnant. And I remember coming home and talking to her and realizing that the company I was working for would have considered that pregnancy a pre-existing condition and they weren't going to cover their insurance. And I looked at her and I was like, would you ever, did you ever think about me going back in the Navy? And she's like, Oh my God, I was going to ask you the same question. And I went to the recruiter that day. Uh, and had a conversation with them. And it was kind of a scary conversation uh, because I was told when I was getting out, be careful about getting out. You may not be able to get back in. Uh, when, the, when the military does well, when it comes to uh, sessions and retention, they kind of close the door to people coming back. And when I had gone and seen the recruiter, I told them I wanted to join the Navy. And of course, he got all excited, you know, started salivating. And he's like, oh, good, I got a contract here. And I said, well, I need to let you know I was already in the Navy. I was in for four years. And he's like, oh, <laughs> and he took this big packet of paperwork and he set it back up in his little stack. And I'm like, oh, crap. And as I was literally on the way out the door about to cry, 
uh, he said, what did you do in the Navy? And I was like, well, I was a cryptologist. And he's like, well, hold on a second. And he had remembered from a presentation that he had, or a, pre, a briefing he had just got that they were accepting cryptologists back in. And he had reached out to my community manager uh, in, for cryptology. And the community manager said, yeah, absolutely, we'll take him back. Um, so I, I did get to go back in. Uh, thank God. I never looked back after that. But yeah, it was it was kind of a scary touch and go moment. I thought maybe I'd ruined that opportunity uh, to, to, to go back. So you're 21 years old, married, baby on the way, and you're in the middle of a recession in 1990. George H.W. Bush is president and you, you get an, another chance. Uh, and then you spend, uh, from what I understand, the next 25. 19, 25 years in the United States Navy. How important was it for you to have uh, that moment of six months of being a civilian and kind of like just getting it out and then back in? How, how important was that for you as a maturity process and as a leader, as you're leading sailors for the rest of your career? It was, it was absolutely a wake-up call. Um that the grass is not necessarily greener on the other side. Um, you know, the, the Navy wasn't necessarily a bad environment. At least they took good care of you. Uh, the Navy's, the military's pretty recession-proof. Uh, I was never worried about where my paycheck was coming from. I, I didn't have to worry about any injuries or any illnesses that I had because they always took care of it. Um, so, of course, you know, bringing a, a if, if I had been single, it might have been a different story. But bringing a, a fiancé home with me and who was pregnant I, I had, I really immediately had to start thinking, you know, like a family man and, and how am I going to take care of my family? What's the most responsible thing to do here? And when you're living in an environment where you can't even get a job at McDonald's because they're just, nobody was hiring at that time. I, I got out thinking that I would have a guaranteed job working with my dad. Uh, my dad worked at a plastic factory and, and, and when I got out, my dad's like, sorry, they're laying people off. I, I can't get you in. And I'm like, well, that would have been nice to know <laughs> before I walked away from the Navy. Uh, but then, then I was scrounging around to try to find something. And here I've got this, this person that I, that I've dragged home with me who was in California, who had a job, who was living her life. And I dragged her home to my world. And I, I was scared that I wasn't going to be able to support her. So the, the Navy was absolutely that revelation to me and that, that opportunity to, to provide for my family. Um, now I, I consider myself a survivor and I believe at the end of the day, if I didn't go back in the Navy, I probably would, would, would have survived. It's just, I probably would have gone through a lot of pains, uh, as a result of that. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't all sunshines and roses when I went back in, because uh, one of the things that uh, anybody who's ever gotten out and gone back in, they realize pretty quickly, uh, that the Navy has this little rule. And that is when you get out and you go back in, you become needs of the Navy and they send you where they need you, not necessarily where you want to go. And where they needed me was on board the USS independence in Yokosuka, Japan. So now I've got this pregnant wife, uh, we had gotten married before I went back in, and I am going to now drag her to a foreign country, um, which, by the way, we had no idea about until about two, three weeks on board the ship. I had already checked on board, and my my lieutenant, my division officer, had come up to me and said, hey, you ready to go to Japan? And I thought we were going to go underway and do a port call in Japan. And I was like, yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. That sounds awesome. And he's like, is your wife ready to go? And I'm like, what? She gets to go on the port call with me? He's like, no, we're changing home ports there. And I'm like, oh, crap. So I had to call my wife and say, hey, pack up our bags and really pack them good because 
we're going to live in Japan for the next three years. And that was, that was hard. <laughs> yeah. So if I, if I can grab this one second, you have a spouse that you took as a fiance from California to New Hampshire, which is a humongous difference in not only climate, but also personality. And that had to have been like, oh my goodness. I'd love oh, yeah. to hear I'd love to hear that. Uh, and, and maybe we'll we'll wait until the next episode to do that. All right. Thank you for joining us for the first part of Bill's story. For part two, tune into the next episode of the Homeland Heroes Salute. This podcast is brought to you by the Homeland Heroes Foundation, an organization dedicated to the reacclimation support of active duty service members, veterans, and their families in their time of need. To learn more, visit homelandheroesfoundation.org. Thank you to our production team at DairyCam, creating connection through story for a better world. Learn more by visiting dairycam.org. Thank you for listening and make sure you subscribe to the Homeland Harris Salute wherever you listen to podcasts.